Here's what we're going to do. We're going to do something a little different this week. If you were uh, at the South Campus last week, then you, you kind of got the practice version of what we're going to do today, okay? Um, and here's what I mean. We, uh, we've got this weird phenomena in the church, if you will, in that we have this weird exchange outsourcing thing going on. And, here, and here's what I mean. I'll, I'll unpack that for a minute. Is that the, uh, the same Bible that we preach out of is the same Bible you guys have, right? We all know that. The same Holy Spirit that the, whole, that the pastors are supposed to rely on to learn from Scripture, as shocking as it is, is the same Holy Spirit that you have. In fact, throughout the New Testament, in, in the Gospels, Jesus even makes a mention when he's talking about breathing his Holy Spirit onto his church that you will not be in need of teachers. Right? He, he talks about that. Yet, we have this weird deal going on, especially in the Western world, um, in which our entire life is identified by the idea of being busy, right? I mean, that's what most of us say. When, how, how's it going? Well, we're busy. That, that's how most of us identify. And so what we do is we outsource things. And so most congregations or most people, um, they go live their busy lives. And when they're ready for the religious word or the religious experience, they have outsourced that to the professionals. And so they come to church to hear what God's voice is. Um, the problem with that is most of us forget what was preached about during rush hour on Monday or whenever the deadline is the next week. Right? And so, and so I, I begin to think, I wonder what it would look like if we together begin to figure out what God's voice is for us on, on Sunday. So here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to read through the text and I'm going to play the role kind of a Bible commentary, okay? Meaning I'm just going to add some cultural stuff to it that you might nor not normally get from, from Scripture. And then if you'll see in your bulletins, there's some notes. I'm just going to start asking questions. And they're not rhetorical questions. But it's for us to work together towards what God might be saying to us through, through the text. And here's why. Here's why we're doing this is because as pastors, as a team of pastors, if you show up on a Sunday and get a great word from God, I think that's wonderful. But if that's the only word from God you get the rest of the week, I think it's really sad. In other words, I would rather us work through principles together that would allow people to study the Bible on their own during the week. Because I think that's what God wants from us. I don't think he wants us to outsource his relationship with you to the professionals. And I don't think he wants the pastors to have some unhealthy dependency on people meeting them that way. Does that make sense? You guys sound excited. So let's try this. This could be really short or it could be good. Okay, we're gonna read, we're gonna, for those who don't know, we've been going through the book of Mark. We're in Mark 9, 14. Uh, starting in, yeah, starting in verse 14. When they came to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and experts in the law arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw him, Jesus, they were amazed and ran at once and greeted him. He asked them, what are you arguing about with them? A member of the crowd said to him, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit that makes him mute. Now, for those who, who weren't here last week, uh, remember last week was 
we talked about the, the experience on the Mount of Transfiguration. So Jesus and the three disciples are now walking down the mountain. Th- this is the crowd that they run into. Um, always fun probably to find your disciples arguing with a mass crowd. Um, whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they were not able to. The better translation there is actually they were not strong enough. They didn't have the strength in and of themselves to cast this demon out to answer my request. So he answered them, you unbelieving, the better word there is faithless. You faithless generation, how much longer must I be with you? How much longer must I endure you? So, so here's, here's kind of what we have. Jesus is not so much just speaking to the individuals there, but he is defining a certain realm or a certain place that he is tired of being in, if that makes sense. He is saying, I am tired of being, I am worn out, I am stretched thin by being in the place that is ruled by the values of faithlessness. I'm worn out of being there. I need to be in a place... I need to be in a realm. I need to be around a people who are not, who do not run their life according to the ways of the world, but I need to be in a place. I need to be in a realm that is ruled by the ideas of faith and belief. Bring him to me. So they brought the boy to him, and when the Spirit saw it, immediately threw the boy into convulsions. He fell on the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, it has often thrown him into the fire or water to destroy him. But if you are able, he's asking Jesus, if you are able to do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Then Jesus said, if you are able, repeating back to the guy what he said to Jesus. Jesus is basically saying, what do you mean, if I am able? Why would you want to limit me? Why would you want to limit what I can do in your life and for you to this one situation? He said, if you are able, all things, all of life, a life lived in the place of faith, a life in need of peace, a life in need of hope, a life in need of you fill in the blank, All things are possible for the one who believes or the one who lives a life of belief. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And this phrase is is kind of one of dichotomy, if you will. Because on one hand, right, the guy says, I do believe. Right after he says that, he basically says, I don't believe. Help my unbelief unbelief. So here's what he's basically saying. He's saying, I appreciate the gifts that the king can give me at my time of need, at my time of want. But I don't have the resolve to live in the place of belief. I don't have the resolve to live a life that is marked by faith. In other words, I know what it's like to garner up, to, to scrounge up enough faith to believe God for what I want. But I don't have the faith that it takes to live as a citizen of the kingdom in this world. 
In other words, he's saying or he's recognizing that belief and faith is not simply a spiritual element that we exercise, but a realm that we live in. A life that is informed completely by the idea of faith. So now when Jesus saw that a crowd was quickly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. It shrieked, threw him into terrible convulsions, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he is dead. But Jesus gently took his hand, raised him to his feet, and he stood up. Then after he went into the house, the disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we cast it out? And he told them, this kind can come out only through prayer. Now, just this is a side note. This might play into this conversation, but it might not. The weird thing about the word prayer there is it means two things. When we think of prayer, we think of oftentimes, we think of a monologue from us to God, right? As if we're going to pray, God needs to hear what we have to say to him, so he needs to sit down and listen to us unfold everything that we need to tell him, right? Okay, but the word prayer here actually means two things. One is it means an exchange, okay? There's this idea of exchange, but even to a, on a different level, the word prayer here also means a place, not just a thing we do. So like, and, and where that comes from is the Jews, when they would be traveling to an area that might not have a synagogue, right? Because this is where they would go to pray. They created a realm or a place of prayer, a place where they would live in, a place where they would experience or commune with God. So I, I, I think, and I'll just I'll say this and we'll get into the questions. I think Jesus is saying much more because here's, here's the weird part. One of the things when you're studying scripture, one of the best things to do is begin, when you hit a point that doesn't make sense, is to stop. Jesus says this kind can only be cast out by prayer, right? Did Jesus stop and pray before he cast it out? He didn't, did he? That's pretty odd to me. So now we'll go. So let's start with the easy question. What does this text tell us about Jesus? It's frustrating. Yeah, he, he does get frustrated, doesn't he? What does that reveal about him, though? He's a person. Very good. He's human. And oftentimes when we read through the scriptures, we don't read the human part of him. We just read the, the, the deified version of who Jesus is. But he was 100% God. And he was 100% man. Exactly. He was a, he was a man who, who got frustrated. Anybody else? That's really good. We can be done now. <laughs> no, but that's good, right? He's telling, he's, he's making a connection to the disciples that seems weird on the surface because he doesn't pray. But something about that means that Jesus is always someplace that these other people were not. That's really good. Anybody else? No, that's absolutely the human part. In fact, I, w- I was in this conversation with this person this week. Uh, a, a professor I know and about, about the life of Jesus. And he says, you can almost narrow down the life of Jesus as miracles, preaching, and escaping. He's, it seems like he's always trying to get away from people. He just wants to, he wants to rest. So yeah, absolutely. Anything else? It's part of the, it's part of the relationship. It's, it's, it's relational to him, exactly. He, he wants to do more than, than 
complete the bottom line. There's a connection that you want to make. Yeah, absolutely. Anybody else before we go on? There's no wrong answers. These are not wrong answers. I'm not waiting for a certain. Uh-huh. Yeah, he didn't even command it at first. It, it reacted to him. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think also one thing I, know, I, I see is that oftentimes as humans or as leaders, when we deal with people, um, we only like to deal with them. And he does get frustrated, obviously, right at the beginning. We, we want to deal with their successes. Jesus even takes the failures that are going on here on many levels and uses them to begin to mold, to shape the ideas that these disciples have. So yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the next one. Well, what does this text tell us about evil? It's not a joke, absolutely. What was that? Okay, yeah, I think so. In fact, back in, some of you weren't here, back in August, one of the messages we did was we, we used uh, the, one of the exorcisms in Mark to talk about the natures of evil. And what we even talked about, so if, what if we look at this text this way, that evil doesn't always show itself in these extreme cases. You know, like we, we think of evil, we think of zombies, or we think of, we just think of, um, this is a new fact I learned, I'm sorry. Um, or we think of, yeah, these, these manifestations. I think we see evil on a few layers here. Because t- the, the idea of, of evil, it's not just to, uh, to turn everybody into these demon-possessed things. It's just to kind of deceive us away from the way God is. Yeah, that's great. When there could have been something good going on, I think we see evil also in the fact that it does. It works its way into these different crowds to create um, which, what could have been a value of diversity, but dissension because of diversity. I think so. Yeah, I think exactly it. I think the very evil that possessed this innocent child that it preyed on is also the very evil that stands in front of us from actually living in the place of belief. It just looks different. And it's around us. Uh, I also think, remember that the translation was actually, when he takes the kid to the disciples, he says that they couldn't do it according to their own strength, right? I think one of the, one of the biggest things when the, that evil does is it deceives us into believing we can do it on our own. Because we label ourselves a Christian disciple or what have you, it, it gets us to this point. And really, if it can get us to that point, it doesn't really need to do much else to us. And I, I think that's what we see. I think evil kind of shows itself in different facets. Yeah, yeah the, the assumption here is they were just trying to command it. And it wouldn't, if you go to another version of this, I think it's in, I think it might be in Luke. You, I might be wrong on that. Um, I think they, they're trying to command it. And it's like, so we've got these two powers working, right? We've, we've got Jesus who is showing his very human side, showing his very relational side, compassionate side. And then we've got evil who is also working and working hard against what Christ is wanting to do. And it's manifesting itself in, in, different, in different forms, if you will. So, what do we know? Next question. What do we know about the disciples from this text? Yeah, they didn't believe. That's pretty strong. They, and the, but even to, to add to that, what they did believe in was their own ability, their own strength. They thought that because they had been with Christ, they could rely on their, their ability, ability to do, to do what, whatever. Yeah, I mean, we've been in a series that if you could title these last few chapters, Adventures in Missing the Point. It's what they seem to keep keep doing over and over and over. Absolutely. Anybody else before we go on? 
So we've got Jesus, very human, but very much God. Compassionate, wants to be part of the process. We've got these disciples, very much human. Teachable, yet prideful. They think they can do it on their own terms, on their own strength. They continually miss the point, time and time again. So here's the question I kind of gave at the beginning. What in this text throws you off a little bit? This text bothered me a lot this week. I had a hard time kind of getting my head around it in a weird way. I think, for me, when I look at the text, I think the part that, because um, I don't think the issue is, even though it's, it's definitely uh, relative and it's brought out, I don't think the issue so much is the demon. But there, there I, th- I think what is, is weird is, you have this father who has this unbelief, he has some sort of belief, enough that he asks the disciples to do something, they can't do it. Then, then his doubt grows and he questions whether Jesus can do it. Jesus says, quotes him back to himself, um, and the guy says, I believe, help my unbelief. Okay? Um, so we, we've got the issue of unbelief that the, that the father's trained. The disciples also have an issue as well. Okay? And so Jesus is saying to all things, all things specifically, generally all things in life, specifically this situation, all things are done through faith or belief, right? Then he gets to the disciples and the disciples say, why couldn't we do it? And he doesn't say because you didn't have faith or belief. He says because you didn't pray. So what is it, faith or is it prayer? Because I think if you look, if you look at every human category that's represented here. You have at the very beginning, you have the large crowd. The large crowd, Jesus automatically lets us know, uh, is this crowd lives in the place of unfaith, lives in the place of faithlessness. This is how, uh, this is the value they they live by, right? So he kind of gives us a large category, but then you have the disciples. Okay, no, but no, I think, so you got to have faith to prayer, but you you got to pray to have faith. It's this weird thing. It seems like to me, remember, what we've seen is two, or really three representatives of the idea of realm. Okay? Right? Jesus starts off by saying, I can't be in this place anymore. This, this. Um, then then we, we find out, that we bookend it with the idea that prayer is not just an exchange, but it's a place. It's a place to be. It's not just a, a, a monologue that, that, that we offer, that we offer up. So, here, here's my question, I guess. What is it? Okay, so I like that. That's really good. But what does that say about him? There's something he's recognized that the disciples haven't. There's something he's realized he can't rely on that the disciples haven't. He, who said what? He can't do it. So I, I think what, it's, what, what's, what we're saying is that the place where evil thrives the place where unfaithfulness, faithlessness thrives and grows is the place when we can work out of our own strength. I think the place of faith, I think the place of belief, I think the place of prayer is when we get to the place where we're willing to embrace our own weakness, to live out of weakness. In a culture like ours, how do you do that? How do you get to the place where you're not willing to live out of your own strength? That is what our entire culture is based out of. Paul, let me, let me read this. Paul says this. 
1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 26. He says, Think about the circumstances of your call, brothers and sisters. Not many were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were born to a privileged position. But God chose what the world thinks foolish to shame the wise. And God, here's, here's the line, And God chose what the world thinks is weak to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, what is regarded as nothing to set aside what is regarded as something, so that no one can boast in his presence. He is the reason you have a relationship with Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. It almost seems like Paul is saying, the very place that you have to get to be in the place of prayer constantly, to be in the place of faith or belief is the place of weakness. And yet we live in a society that people are valued based on their strength. It might be one of the most countercultural ideas that the scriptures have. I think what Mark is trying to tell us is God's greatest desire through this story is that we get to a place where we depend on him for everything. And he loves us enough that he will lead us into places of weakness where our strength fails us. Because the idea of the Christian life is not a momentary prayer here or there. It's not like the father said, I have faith for this thing but not faith for life. But the idea of the Christian life is that we walk in the person and the strength of Jesus is, and two strengths can't walk together. And I think that's what Mark's telling us. I think he's saying Jesus wants us because we'll never get him as long as we're relying on us a little bit. He loves us enough to take us to the point where our weaknesses shine out so much that we realize that there is really nothing we can do in and of ourselves. Sure, we can do the the world strength thing and rely on that, but it never gets us closer to Him. God's heart, God's desire is for us to be in the place of weakness, which is really hard to be in, in a world that values nothing but strength, popularity, self-promotion. Because I think we're dealing with identity. I think that's what the disciples were dealing with. And, and we, we really want to form our own identity. We want to be known for who we are, who we can make ourselves to be. And the truth is, the most humbling thing, and I think maybe this, maybe this is why even God created the marriage thing. I mean, I know this, that's not theologically true. But, but maybe is because here at the end of the day, especially for those of you who've been married for a long time, you realize you are not everything your spouse needs. And no matter how hard you try, you cannot be. Right? We realize that. But if we look at everything else in life, isn't that the same? No matter whether it's promotion, we get to promotion. Are we ever satisfied? No, we want the next promotion. And we're going to lean on ourselves to get it. We want the next pay bracket. And we will lean on ourselves to get it. We want to be a certain type of spouse. And we will lean on. And I think Jesus continually leads us to the place to show us you can't do it. If you want to live this life my way, you've got to completely depend on me because you can't do it. And you will constantly end up in one of these categories that we see today. Anthony Bloom said this, and we'll close. This day is blessed by God 
It is God's own, and now let us go into it. You walk in this day as God's own messenger. Whoever you meet, you meet in God's own way. You are there to be the presence of the Lord God, the presence of Christ, the presence of the Spirit, the presence of the gospel. This is your function on this particular day. You must be prepared to walk into situations one after the other in God's name, to walk as the Son of God has done in humiliation and humility and weakness, in truth and ready to be persecuted for, and so forth. If you accept that this day was blessed of God, chosen by God with his own hand, then every person you meet is a gift of God. Every circumstance you will meet is a gift of God, whether it is bitter or sweet, whether you like it or dislike it. It is God's own gift to you. And if you take it that way, then you can face any situation. Here's the deal. Here's the, if the whole context on that. Is oftentimes we judge a situation on whether our strength can handle it or not. What Anthony Bloom is saying, to see the world the way God wants us to see it, to see humanity the way God wants us to see humanity, those who are other than us, is to take on the posture of complete weakness, to realize that everything around us is a gift from God and God shaping us, not something that we have to fix by our own strength. Let's pray.